Galena Kraus was murdered on January 6, 1979, and this is her daughter's story. Last week, we spoke with Jane, who has been haunted for 40 years about the tragic murder of her mother, but also by the incomprehensible sentence the killer received. Six months in jail and a $1,000 fine. After admitting to murder, he pushed his way into Glenna's home, picked up a statue, and bludgeoned her to death. Glenna's daughter, Patty, was on the phone with her mother while the attack took place by her boyfriend. I reached out to Patty several times to include her in this podcast to no avail. This week, we will be speaking with Glenna's daughters, Paula and Sue. I find it very interesting how each of Glenna's daughters have different levels of anger toward the justice system and their sister Patty, as well as how they all coped with life. Jane now reads something that describes how she feels. This excerpt is from Grief.com. The grief from murder may even be more difficult to deal with than the loss from a disease because the answer to why is always a third party. It is important for people to understand gradually. In your own time, you can begin to find some solace with what has happened. In these situations, such as murder, it is vital to understand we have a legal system, not necessarily a justice system. For some, the only justice would be to have their loved one back. Acceptance is a process that we experience, not a final stage with an end point. I spoke with Paula, who was the eldest of the Krauss children. Hello. Hi, Paula. It's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. What was your relationship like when you were a child with your mom? What was she like with you and as a person? Well, she was a very good mother. I used to think if I could be half as good as she was, I would be doing well. Very, very involved. She used to be a ballroom dance teacher, so she loved to dance. And she taught me a lot of dances. That's so interesting. She was a ballroom dancing teacher. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's such a cool job. Yes. Yes. Arthur Murray Dance Studio. Oh, neat. Yeah. So she was also the disciplinarian mostly in our house because my dad was a doctor and he was gone a lot. So she was the one who, you know, disciplined us. And she was pretty strict. Uh, five kids, you got to be that way, I think. I so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Like I said, she was fun. She, there's certain things she loved. She loved small towns. She loved antiques. 
She loved her children, and before she died, she had two grandchildren who were my children. And we didn't always live real close, but she was very involved with them when she could be. Let's see what else. She, She loved to travel. Of course, she and my dad got divorced when she was in her 40s. So she had a few years, you know, being single and traveling and working. And uh, she didn't really work when we were growing up because there's plenty of work to do with five kids. But later on, when she got divorced, she got a real estate license and she did that for, for quite a while. What was your relationship like with your siblings? As kids, it was very, very good. I was the oldest, so I kind of took care of them, and I was kind of taught that I should take care of them. In fact, those words were said to me, take care of the little kids and set a good example. If I heard that once, I heard it hundreds of times. Oh, boy. And that was my role, and I did it. You know, and, and having that role is good and bad. It makes you extremely responsible and grown up, and... It kind of takes away from from, uh, time to have fun. Paula was very close with her mother. She doesn't recall there ever being any difficulties between them in their relationship. Paula feels when the children all became adults, their mother was very good at letting go of her strict rules and not telling them what to do or how to live their lives. Glenna was very supportive I would not give unsolicited advice. This is a virtue that Paula tries hard to emulate with her own grown children. How did you find out that your mother had been murdered? Well, I was living in Indiana at the time, and she was in Ohio, so was my father. Um, They weren't together. Got a phone call on a Saturday night. I was home with my kids and actually with a boyfriend because I was divorced by then. And um, my dad called, and he said, um, you need to come to Ohio, come to my house, because your mother's been hurt. And that's all he told me. So I found someone to take care of my kids, and my boyfriend and I jumped in a car and drove over here. Uh, We got here about 11.30 at night, maybe, something like that, pretty late. And got to my dad's house, and by then my mother had died, and, and he knew that when he called me. He just didn't want to tell me, you know, until I was there in person. So he told me, and I can't even describe how it felt. It was just awful, you know, especially how it happened and why it happened. And I can remember we talked quite a long time, and then I went to bed and just, you know, didn't sleep not one second. Just was so, so unbelievable, so horrible. You know, I'm thinking, oh my God, how am I going to tell my children? You know, how am I going to, how, how is this going to work? How, you know, I knew that all my siblings would be coming into town and they did. The next, everybody came in, I believe, the next day on a Sunday. And I went back home that day and got my kids and brought them back. And we all stayed, and Jane probably told you this part, we all stayed at my dad's house with his wife, his my stepmother, for a week as we made plans and 
you know, for the, for the funeral. And it was a real stressful week. Just really, I, I can't say enough about my dad and my stepmother. They just really stepped up and took care of us. My dad, who could be difficult from time to time, <laughs> just really stepped up to the plate and was wonderful that week. And my stepmother, I, I can never say enough about her. You know, I'm my dad died, but I'm still in touch with her and see her, you know, go out and see her in Colorado every year. She is a wonderful person. That's nice. Just so kind and just just absolutely the best. And how did the fact that it was your sister's boyfriend that murdered your mother impact? Well, for me, how I felt was I was very sympathetic with her. I was very upset for her. I could see what it was doing to her and all of us. I didn't feel, and some other, you know, my brother in particular felt a lot of he wanted revenge. And when that when that subject came up, I was like, I'm out of here. I've got kids. I can't hear this. For me, I handled it. I was like, you know, I got to go back to Indiana. I have kids. I've got to have some kind of normalcy in their life. And as hard as it was, I mean, my daughter can hardly remember that time. My son can. He was older. He was 11. You know, I just felt like I got to hold myself you know, push forward here and somehow hold myself together. A couple years after she died, I joined Al-Anon, which you probably know what that is. Yes. It's for support for people who have friends or family members who are alcoholic. And I'm still there 38 years later. Oh, so you find that very helpful. Oh, yes. Yes. In every area of my life. Absolutely. I I mean, I can easily say it saved my life many times. It's just been, it's been the best single decision I've ever made in my life. Paula realized through Al-Anon, she had to learn how to live differently. And she had to be sure not to allow others' choices to make her own life awful. She goes to three or four meetings a week. Now she attends on Zoom, seeing her Al-Anon friends her family. They talk about everything. They are able to be so open with each other. This is her therapy, her support. How is your relationship with Patty? Well, there was quite a long time where the relationship was really good. And then uh, several years ago, things seemed to take a turn. And we have not had a very good relationship ever since. There's been many tries at trying to mend things, and it just has not worked. And it makes me very sad that I can't um, have that relationship with her now that I used to have. And is there anything you can think of that would help to bring you two together? We don't live in the same state. We, We live a thousand miles apart I would I would like to sit down with her face to face and have a a conversation but I don't think that's possible at least not now we've tried it over the phone and it just hasn't it's just not the same over the phone 
So I really feel like if we could have a face-to-face, maybe that would help. I don't know. You know, I, I, I hold out hope that it would. Does she have to feel any worries that you have any resentment towards her because of what happened? No. No, she doesn't. I love her just the same. I wish her well. I really wish her peace in her life. Yeah, that's that's what I wish for her. I, I, I'm not upset with her. I'm only upset because we don't have a good relationship right now. Do you think that the murder of your mother really impacted the relationship you have with that sister? Yes. Yes, I think it impacted the whole family and all the relationships. Some of them got better and closer and some of them didn't. Yeah, it just it just really changed the dynamic of the whole family. Well, I had gone back home and I did not come back and sit through court because like I said I had a job, I had kids. Two of my siblings did sit through it. Of course, I heard, you know, what was going on. I was extremely disappointed and angry and upset that this guy literally spent six months in jail, period. Yeah, that was just heartbreaking for all of us that he did not get the punishment he deserved. Well, he had beat my sister up several times and held a gun to her. He he was horrible. And she was terrified of him, and my mother was too, and she knew the whole situation. So when he couldn't get in my sister's house, I don't know, he went there, but he didn't get in. And then he went to my mother's condo, and my sister called her to say, you know, I think he's heading over there. And he did get there. I, what I can only assume is that, because she opened the door for him. I think she thought she was somehow going to talk some sense into him or talk to him. I have never read the transcript. I So I don't know all the details, only what people have told me. I think that for whatever reason, they did, even though we all knew he did it, and this is, was his M.O., this is what he did to women. He, he stalked them and he beat them up and, you know, and then he would have murdered my sister had he been able to get to her, but he couldn't get to her, so he went to my mom. But he had done this before, and he's been he's had run-ins with the law many times in his life. So what I, what I gathered was they didn't have enough evidence, and also some of the testimony was conflicting, and that's how he got off. And I think he also turned some state's evidence. I think there's technicalities that people like us don't understand, or people like me, you know, not a lawyer. I, I know when my mom was dying, she said his name, the guy who killed her, to the the guy in the uh, ambulance, but. She only said his name, I think. Not, she didn't say he did it. She just said his name. Oh, my goodness. And they couldn't convict on her saying that because maybe he, she was saying something else about him. I, mean, I don't know. That doesn't seem reasonable to me, but that's how it was. 
Paula's children were there that week immediately after the murder. Her son does not want to speak about the murder of his grandmother very often, but her daughter is much more interested in learning more about the case. She even at one point was called uh, the local law enforcement here and asked them to go to his house as a, you know, as a well check. (laughs) Not really, but as a, she wanted to know, like, how he was living. Mm. And the, the, and yeah, she had, she had quite, quite the nerve to do that. And this was many years ago, actually. She was a lot younger. And the police officer called her back and he said, what I can tell you is he's not living a good life. Not at all. Oh. And that did make us all feel better. Being a woman and, you know, having a daughter and a granddaughter, actually three granddaughters, I would say, and I've never been in this situation myself, but I've known other women that have been in, you know, abusive situations and like my sister was, I guess I would say, and I know it's hard for women, you know, get out before, get out early. Women put up with stuff. They think, they think they're going to change whoever he is, that he's going to change. He's going to quit. He's, you know, cause that's what he tells them. And it's just, you know, it's not going to happen. I, you know, I suggested to one person, please just have a bag ready somewhere in the trunk of your car somewhere, you know, and know there are places to go and know where they are. What type of service did you have for your mother? Yeah, we had a nice service at the church we grew up in and several people spoke, but you know, and, and I did not. I was too upset to even think about that. But the truth is, I can I can really not remember what people said all these years later. I, I can't. And has there been, other than, you know, moving forward through your days for your children, was there anything else, and Al-Anon, that brought you sort of peace or comfort or helped you, you know, focus on something else to not have to think too much about the tragedy that you were living through? I think that I had to realize that, you know, I was important too, not just my kids, not just my sisters, not just whatever, that I was also important and that I deserve to have some peace and, you know, a, 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 a nice life. And that's, I think, what I've actually done. My life was pretty darn good. Is there another memory you would like to share with us today? Yes. When I see um, ballroom dancing, I I remember, you know, I think about her. She loved antiques, and I have a few antiques also. So when I go to an antique store or I look at my antiques that actually belong to her, that's good memories. She loved little towns. I do, too. Just little little. Silly little towns with little shops. I love that also. So, um, yeah, there's there's quite a few things that bring back good memories. You know, I think both my sister and I want don't want her to be forgotten. Um, she was a wonderful person. She was loved by a lot of people. You know, her life was cut short by easily 20 to 30 years or more. And, yeah, there's there's... Not too many people left that remember her. 
Paula also spoke of what an amazing seamstress her mother was. She sewed all of the children's dance costumes, and they all took up to five classes a week. This took time and energy and dedication. Glenna could be seen sewing into the wee hours of the morning. Glenna was a supermom. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, and I'm, I'm glad to do it. That's great. So we'll, uh, I'll let you know when it's coming out, and you have a great day. Okay. Thanks. You too. Okay. Take care. Mm-hmm. You uh, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I next spoke with Sue, who was the second oldest girl in the family. She was in her late 20s when her mother was murdered. Hi, Sue. It's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi. How are you today? I'm all right. So tell me about your relationship with your mother. What was that like when you were youngsters? What was your relationship like with your mom? She was my mom. Did you have a close relationship, do you think? Did you do fun things together? Well, we we got close when I was probably... 25, we got close again, but for a long time, we weren't close. And why was that? What was the difficulty in your relationship? <laughs> because, I was, because I was a naughty kid. <laughs> okay, I see. You were a naughty kid, so you, you were sort of on the outs with your mom, but when you came around, you had a close relationship again. Yeah. Okay, well, that's... And that's... I've always been really thankful for that. Before Sue buckled down and went back to school to get her master's degree, she butted heads with their parents. At one time, her father said, I am not giving you another nickel. And she responded, well, how about a few pennies then? Sue was smart as a whip when it came to her comebacks. She loved her mother very much and is thankful for the close relationship she still has with her sisters, Jane and Paula. Tell me about the horrible moment when you found out that your mom had been murdered. Well, I was living in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a ski town. And at the time, I, I, my son's father and I were living in a cabin in the woods, and it was wintertime. We had like a, a mile ski in and mile ski out, and uh, they couldn't get a hold of me because, of course, we didn't have a phone. <laughs> and this is, you know, before cell phones. Well, maybe not before cell phones, but anyway. So they called a girl that I worked with. I worked at a uh, a preschool, and they called the a girl that I worked with there and she skied out and got me and brought me into town and, and had me call home. And that's how I found out I was devastated. Anyway, I flew home and we all were at my, all of us were at my dad's house and they had a, a small, my, my brother was real small then I wasn't uncomfortable being at my dad's house with everybody there, but I think some people were uncomfortable and felt like they were putting my dad and my stepmom out. But I don't think 
I don't think my stepmom felt that. After the service for their mother, Sue headed back home to her quiet cabin. The third time I went back to Ohio was for her trial. And I had to hitchhike because I was out of money. So you were actually at the trial. You were actually at your mother's trial. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That must have been so difficult for you to sit through. Um, yeah, actually it was. Back then, they, they didn't, like, scan you and everything, you know. Well, I had a backpack, and I walked into the courtroom, and I sat down in the front row. Because I wanted to see that person that killed her. I, I wanted to see, look right in his face. And two cops came in and sat on either side of me, which really offended me. I, I, wasn't, going to, I wasn't going to do anything. I was there because, you know, it was my mom's trial. And my dad was there, too. I can't believe police would do that to a young woman. Why, why in heaven's sake would they go and do that to make you feel uncomfortable? Because, because they, they probably felt I was going to do something to him. Why do you think a plea deal was made? Okay, you, get, you have to remember that my dad was a doctor, and he had been a doctor since 1951 in in Fairborn, Ohio, which is a suburb of, of Dayton. And he was really well-known and really well-respected. And so was my mother. And he was coroner of Greene County. He, but by the time he, he stopped being coroner, he had been coroner for 25 years. But anyway, I think that rather than my sister, whose boyfriend friend it was, she got on the stand and she lied. And you just can't do that. But see, she, her brain works strangely. But anyway, they caught her in a big fat lie. And so in order for there to not be a mistrial and let that guy walk out that day, they did some bargaining and stuff and you know, to protect my dad, to protect themselves. I don't know, you know. Anyway, so he just, he basically got off, got out, got away with it. And why do you think your sister did lie on the stand? Because of her age and her commitment to him? Or what, what reason could she have had? Well, she wanted to make it seem like they were broken up. And that's, they, that's what they specifically asked her, that they were broken up and it was over. Well, and she said, yeah, that's true. Well, it wasn't true. And they had letters that she had written that guy after all of this. They had those letters. And so she, they caught her in a big fat lie. I was there, but I was out in the hallway took my dad into another room and talked to him and, you know, came back. And then I guess, I don't know, that's, that's what happened. Sue remembers the court hearing differently than some others. She believes her father was there 
and spoke to someone after there were discrepancies set on the stand. Sue says she saw her father go into a room and when he came out, the case ended. She has no idea, however, what was said in that room. How did you feel toward your sister after the trial? What, what did you feel? Well, I tried, to, I tried to console her, be nice to her, and, you know, but that didn't last very long because she's just, she's a horrible person. That's how I feel now. At the time, I, I was trying to put myself in her in her shoes, and I thought, well, I would I would need somebody to you know be there for me, and I tried to be there for her, but but she she never took responsibility for for any of it. As a matter of fact, about I don't know six months or a year ago, she texted these horrible things to all three of us, to Paula, Jane, and I about how we've ruined her life and, you know, and it's just like, she's, she's crazy. And, and I, I've said this to Jane several times. If I, if it had been me, if it had been my boyfriend that did that, I would have killed myself because I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. I, she just, I guess in order to go on living, she had to convince herself that it wasn't her fault. Right. But you feel it was her fault. And I do. Oh, well, definitely. It, in, my, in my life, in my opinion, it was her fault. She made the poor choice to go out with this creep, and he, he wasn't nice to her, and she kept going back and going back. You know, she's just not right in the head. I'm really angry toward her. And then for her to to say those things to Paula and Jane and I about how we have ruined her life. Huh. Jane doesn't blame Patty. She blames Patty for her poor judgment. I blame Patty. Sue had a relationship with her brother that grew from sibling teasing into a loving and close relationship. Their brother committed suicide, another terrible casualty in the murder of Glenna Krause. My, my brother was two years older than me, and he just was so mean to me at growing up. But then we became really close. Well, as a matter of fact, as I, I never had a, a date until he went away to the Navy because he wouldn't let me go. Oh, really? Yeah. He'd say, a guy would come to the door, and he'd go, uh, I don't think so, and shut the door in their face. <laughs> so after he went to the Navy, uh, that's when I got to start dating. And then he went to Ohio State University and went to, went to vet school. And so I used to drive up to see him up there. He and I were real close. And then I'm not sure what happened exactly, but uh, I I had to talk to him in, I don't know, years. I mean, decades. I, I'm not sure why. I, talk, I talked to his wife about it, his ex-wife, 
and ask her, and she said that he just wanted to keep his distance from people. What did you do after your mother was murdered? Was there anything particular you did to sort of heal yourself or be able to get through the days? No, I just went, I just went back to Colorado and went to work every day. And, you know, very few people in my life even know about my mom. This case began disturbingly with a murder. The murder of Glenna Kraus. Her loved ones would like her to be remembered. Without their loving mother, the family unit began to see cracks in their armor. Everyone had their own demons to battle, trying to come to terms with their new reality. The truth is, their sister's boyfriend committed this heinous crime and admitted to doing it. He admitted to murder. There was a serial killer in jail at the time, with their mother's killer. It seems very likely that a plea bargain was reached. But the six-month sentence is obviously preposterous and cruel. However things happened, the reality is, it did happen. Glenna Kraus was murdered. And here we are 40 years later, with estranged family members and the devastation of their brother's need for revenge, and then finally his suicide. The struggles the sisters went through trying to navigate life. I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. You take care. Ah, uh-huh. bye. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder... They lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one. And let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain. But surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, Or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. 
That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.